Welcome back to another edition of The Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne, author of The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, and this is episode 52, The Northern Campaign and the Battle of Maram. So I've decided to loop back into the Rephaim and Nephilim Wars of the time of the conquest, and I'll be getting back to, on the next episode, some of the chronology of end time events after the days of the trumpet that we talked about in episode 51 and probably split the last half of the chronology events into two maybe three hopefully just two editions because i know a lot of people are looking forward to seeing how that end time comes together in terms of chronology so we'll be doing that on the next show and today we're talking about a tremendous campaign and battle that takes place after the Battle of Rephidim with the Amalekites and the support of the kings of the land of Seir and the Horim at a time when Israel was not ready for war and just refugees from being enslaved in one of the beast kingdoms which is uh, was Egypt at that time and after the 40 years of wilderness and then with the battle after that heading up to where the spies went in to explore the land at the battle of Athronim with Arad of the Hebron area of the Kiriath Arba home of the city of the ancient patriarch Arba of the Anakim of the Raphaim and then after that marching all the way around and up towards Syria to battle first with uh, King Sihon and his royal cities and the multiple cities he had and the Rephaim that were in the Mount Hermon area. And then after that, taking on King Og and his 60 cities of fortresses that all had villages in between and taking them on and then taking on the five King Pentapolis city uh, empire of the Midianites who were allied with King Og and King Sihon and the Midianites were descendants of Abraham as well through Keturah and just as the Amalekites were descendant of Abraham and through uh, Isaac with Esau who produced Eliphaz who married Timna the Horim and were both I think had skin in the game where they wanted to eliminate and wipe Israel from the face of the earth so that they could take back the Messianic promise, present their own dragon Messiah to gain the birthright and the blessings that Jacob had received over Esau. And then they crossed and we talked about the taking of Jericho and then we talked about the central campaign and part and that reached even into a little bit of the south and all the different kings and the Pentapolis cities that were lined up against Israel at that time. And then after the central campaign, Joshua headed back to Gagel. And after all of those battles, there was even more difficult battles in front of them, if one can imagine that. More of the hybrids of the Canaanite hybrids, of the Mighty Seven, more of the Rephaim kings, more of Hivim, 
and probably some Avim in there and some reinforcements of Rephaim uh, from the south that they were going to have to go up against. And remember that these were, you know, nations that were mightier and greater than uh, Israel. So that's the Hebrew word as in greater, which is rab, which means in size and in numbers and in strength and in leadership. And that they were mightier, which was atsam, which is rooted in atsam, and to shorten it means that they were very strong and had the ability to crunch bones with their bare hands. And these were the great kings of Psalm 135 talks about, of the Sihon and Og and the mighty kings of Bashan and the kings of Canaan. And this is the northern part of the Canaanite tribes. And that um, these were great kings, which is Gadul, which means they were proud, they were boastful, and they did great feats of pride. Just as you have the beast kings that uh, were down in the Hebron area, like the Anakim, Ahiman, Sheshai, and Telmai. So again, I know I've gone over some of this material, but I want to set the stage for what's coming after what Israel had fought already. And yet, there were a long ways from this being over. And so they returned to Gagel, but... After witnessing and hearing the reports of the great slaughter in the south and the great slaughter east of the Jordan River, and what happened in Egypt and the whole reputation and the destruction of cities and the destruction of Jericho, one would think that the northern Rephaim kings and their hybrids and their pentapolis city-states would say, we can't win against this. They have the omnipotent God of the Bible. They have the omnipotent God who is greater than all beings, creator of all things behind them. We can't win. But they don't because they're so proud. And one expects that just as a Pharaoh, they had their hearts hardened. Hardened more through their own narcissism and pride and hubris. So I think that hardening of the heart that we learn the lessons out of Egypt from is exactly what all of the Rephaim kings do with their pride because they think they're gods on earth and they think that their pantheon of gods is as powerful or more powerful than uh, the God of the Bible. But they're going to learn soon that that's not the case. And so after witnessing all of this that has already happened, King Jabin, who is mentioned, uh, of Hazer, he sends for certain kings as a representative to decide what they're going to do. And it's going to be King Jobab of Madon. It's going to be King Shimron, the king of Shimron, and the king of Ashaf, and the kings of the north of the mountains and the kings of the plain, and the kings of the valley, and the kings of Chinneroth, and the kings of the west in Dor. Dor is in the Gilgal area. And Gilgal is a whole cir circus, uh, circuit of cities and worship sites, just as Gilgal Raphaim at the base of Mount Hermon is one of those worship sites within that whole circle of ancient pilgrimage and cities. 
But that's not all. That's not all. That wasn't enough, and we're not sure how many of those are. We know they're a great number, but there's also, as Joshua, and that was recorded in, you know, Joshua 11, 1 to 2. And in 11, 3, we also learn of the hybrids of the Canaanites that are with them. And these are the Canaanites of the east and the west. So the Canaanites that are still probably in the Mount Hermon area and the Canaanites that are along the coast and in the north. And the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites in the mountains and the Hivites of Mount Hermon are the peoples that are, that are listed as the hybrids. So this is part of that huge alliance. And as big as the alliance was that was lining up for the battles in the Central Campaign, this pales by comparison. As big as the alliance of Og with his 60 cities was in the Eastern Campaign after Sihon was defeated, this is bigger. And this is King Jabin who is summoning all of these kings and representatives of all of the nations and the cities and the villages to form a great alliance to wipe Israel from the face of the earth. And so he was the king of Hazor, and Hazor was his royal city in the north. And there are, there are other cities that we'll talk about that are similar, but this is the Hazor of the north in the city of Jabin. And not only was it a royal city, but you have a leader that is, I would say, unique amongst the the Raphaim kings and he is you know he is a king and he is of, of a king that is there as it, it is described as before time that's the Hebrew word panim and that means of old since the flood days of old and I think there from the time of the flood I think that like the Horim, whatever type of giant Jabin is, and we're not told of whom, although one wonders whether or not the, the closeness of the spelling might be associated with the creation of the Jebusites, but that's just a, um, you know, just pulling that as sort of a phonetical coincidence, and I don't know the etymology of that, and I can't connect that, but there's a similarity there. But anyways, he is a king uh, and a city that ruled from since the flood. Now, I don't think from before the flood, but you could interpret it that. But I think that as like the Horim, which Jabin would be, you know, similar to, and the kings of the Horim, the kings or the dukes of the Horim of Seir, that ruled before the Edomite kings from the time before, from the time from the flood to the time that Esau went into the Seir area and took many wives, including one, um, <clears throat> including Canaanites and Hittites and um, several other wives. And one of his offspring was Eliphaz, who married Timnah, son of Seir, who is the chief patriarch of the Horim of the Seir area and a Raphaim, um, and she marries Eliphaz, and they produce Alamak, or Amalek, who's going to produce the Amalek, 
Malachite nation that's going to be the hybrid nation within the Horim. And that's the same people backed by the Horim and the Malachim giants that are going to attack Israel as soon as they come out of Egypt. And so you have this similar sort of association, and we're going to hit on some of those associations and connections to King Jabin of the North, who's this super king uh, of the North. And he was a Rephaim king, and just as you have the dukes of Edom, as they're called, and the dukes of Seir, Rabin is a duke as well. And he would be like an archduke because he would be over all of those other kings in, in the north as the ruler of the north. This is literally the royal city of the north, even though there's many different peoples. And what's interesting about that is he is um, a chief of, of the north. And he's the chief leader, as he's, as he's described, is that we get that term chief that's used here as you take that back to Hebrew. That is the Hebrew word rosh. And in Ezekiel 38.2, we get um, Magog, who is the chief prince of rosh. And of, of, of Russia, or not of Russia, but of rosh. And chief goes back to that word uh Rosh as well. So you get this connection that you have Israel taking the land of the covenant against and away from the giants. And in the end time, we're going to have an alliance of descendants of giants and their nations led by the descendants of giants who are going to be trying to take Israel back again. So nothing is new under the sun. And with Jabin, that's defined as you take that back as being intelligent and a discerner. So this is somebody who would be sort of that antichrist-like figure and with the power that he had and over the polytheism. And Jabin is a patronymic term and you're going to get a king jabin in the book of judges as well and so it would be patronymic like a gag it would be patronymic like hadad it would be patronymic like um caesar or, or pharaoh so it's a patronymic title of a king so we probably don't know his real name but that is the king title that he has as being king jabin of, of hazer and that's judges 4 too if you want to find the other jabin that's listed um, and that's, you know, after the conquest in the age of the judges. And so this was the royal city of the north. And Hazer is, is kind of patriarchal as well or patronymic in terms of the names of the cities. So you have like Baal Hazor, uh, which is a different city than Hazer. And, you know, city of Baal. You have Hezron. You have Hazer Gada. You have Hazer Shual. You have Ant Hazer. You have Hezron. And you have Hazer Susa. And these are the names of some of the fortresses of the Pentapolis cities of the south in the central region. And Hazer is also a fortress city, is a royal city. 
And Hazor comes from the Hebrew word chatur, which means castle or high walls or fortress. And so this was one of those mighty cities. It was a fortress royal city, which would have had probably another four royal cities along with us. We don't know how many royal cities that were all answerable to the central king, who's much like King Og, who had 60 cities or 12 pentapolis city-states. And with the villages and the mice network, as the Philistines described it as part of their defensive and offensive measures, it was all the Raphaim military strategy that Israel went up against. And what's interesting about Hazor and the Chatzor for the high and mighty walls is in Deuteronomy 2, we learn about the Avim and the Hazorim. And the Hazorim is the plural of Hazor. So this is the Hebrew word Chatzorim. Uh, and uh, I understand you could you would pronounce that differently in Hebrew, but ch is the beginning of the the spelling of it, and it means cities or towns in plural, and cities that are fortress cities in plural. And so the the avim, whom the Philistines inherited those cities by expropriating them and only leaving them one city, becomes into the Philistine pentapolis. And this is the Hazarim of the Havim. So the, the Avim at one time were very, very powerful in the south and it seems to be related to Yabin. And so one wonders whether or not Yabin was possibly Avim or from the Raphaim from Mount Hermon. Again, we're not told, but you get those connections that um, you want to keep in mind so that you're not sort of taken aside by secular and polytheist rhetoric tactics and sort of isolating different things and dismissing certain things that the giants weren't all that common. That is the disinformation that, that they continually sort of seed and the denial of it to make Israel out to be this barbaric nation of a barbaric God. These giants were everywhere and they ruled the cities, they controlled the armies, and they produced hybrids with the Canaanites that were still taller, just as Numbers 13 talks about and it was reconfirmed in Deuteronomy 1. You actually get the names of a lot of those in Numbers 13 that are the same as the Mighty Seven with the addition of the Amalekites, whom we've already talked about, part of the Mighty Seven. The Amalekites were not. And again, Genesis 14, if you're wondering where the Amalekim come from for the giants and the, and the War of Giants, and that's well before Genesis 36 when the Amalekites are um, going to be created through the marriage of Eliphaz and Timna to produce Alamath. So this is the city that is going to lead the attack and organize the complete north with all of those peoples and we talked about just an seemingly an uncountable amount of people in the army just like they were counted as the grains of the sand from just so many different peoples from so many different realms ruled by Rephaim kings and all of their cities and I want to give you a, a little bit deeper understanding of why I'm emphasizing that. So if you look at the king of Madon, 
and that is defined as a royal city, Madan, and a stature with high walls and tall leaders. Tall leaders, giants, and hybrids, and king of Shimron, and it's defined as watch, as in watcher, and height, and so you also have that as a royal city as it's defined as. And the king of Akshaf, which means sorcerer and bewitched, and also a royal city. And these are, in what's listed in Joshua 19, the fenced cities that Joshua fought against. Many of them are listed in Joshua 19. And that includes Chinaroth, who we've talked about in that alliance, and Hazor, which was that royal city, and Hamath, which is from the Mount Hermon region of the Mitzvah, and the king of Dor, which is of the nations of Gilgal that we talked about. And Gilgal was, you know, the location meaning wheel Gilgal, as opposed to Ophanim, which also means wheel. This is Gilgal wheel and is the place of the base camp of the Israelites. A little bit of irony there. And these fenced cities means, or is translated from the Hebrew word Mipsar, Mibstar. And that means fortress or strong walls. So these other fenced cities, when you see that term fenced cities, that is the mighty and high-walled cities that is talked about. The ones that are occupied by the hybrids and, and reigned over by the Raphaim kings. So it's important to connect all of this together. So these are the same type of fence cities and castle and fortresses as Heshbon of Sihon or Edrai of King Og as opposed to their worship cities. They usually had a dual city, a religious city, and a city that they lived in and ruled from. In Gibeon um, of, of the south or Jerusalem would have been another one of those royal cities. And those are the ones from the central campaign that we were, that we talked about in in the last go around, uh, in the last show on the central on the central uh, campaign. So this was what made up the Northern Alliance. And Jabin gathers them at Moron. And as I mentioned, they are in this size of the army is probably the greatest army ever seen to that time and who knows till the end time we don't know where it sits in with the size but this is a huge army numbers like the sand on the seashore and joshua instead of having them have the upper hand he leaves gilgal with his army which would be anywhere near them in size and number and he catches them by surprise at Moron and attacks them suddenly. And one presumes that not only did they have the tactical advantage of surprise, but you, they would have also have had the hornets that uh, God had promised them and that the hornets would have gone in to disrupt them and, and bring them out to be slaughtered in disarray and scrambling from the hornets. And in Joshua 24, 12, Deuteronomy 7, 20, Exodus 23, 28 is where you get 
those passages where God is going to use hornets that seem to have be able to get the advantage of these giants, one of their weaknesses. And so they panicked. This huge, massive army, they panicked, just like at the time, 400 years or so later, with David and Goliath, after Goliath had his head taken, the Philistines ran and panicked. And so Israel chased after them. They just didn't take the win. They were there to end this in the north. And they chased them first to Sidon. And in Sidon is in the north. This is where the Phoenician Empire was. This is where the Sidonites intermarried with Raphaim. And that's why you have so many of the Phoenician and the Sidonite kings that are listed in history that have Raphaim associations with gods and giants. The, this was, again, the same sort of structure that was set up in the north and along the coast in the west. And they chased them there to hunt down all the nations that were at the battle. And then after Sidon, they chased um, those who were from the Mount Hermon region. They went all the way across the mountains and into the, the Mount Hermon re region and warred with them. And then from Mitzvah in, in the east, they went, which was in the land of Mount Hermon. That's where the Hivim and the Hivites were located. Then they went back to Hazor and they burned it down totally destroyed it. They didn't do that to the other cities in the north, but they were destroying the city of power, the city that controlled that area, the whole north area with Raphaim and tribes of the Raphaim that have different vernacular names since the time of the flood. This was as important to completely destroy as cities like Jericho because it was a sign of the power of the living God that was behind Israel and not with the giants. And then they went from there um, to, to take over all of the, and take down all of the city fortresses and the people that were under Hazor's direct rule. And so if you look at the traveling in this campaign, it was absolutely unbelievable so they went from Gagel to Maram and then they went from Maram to Sidon and then they went from Sidon over to Syria into Mount Hermon and then from Mount Hermon in, uh, in Syria back to um, to Hazor in, in, in the north central region and then from Hazor back to Gagel I mean this was a campaign that wouldn't have happened in a few days it would have been perhaps years in um, the campaign. And this is probably one of the greatest victories ever. And was probably a battle of such immense odds that the scale of who they beat and the numbers and the nations and the amount of the Raphaim and hybrids were there and how many campaigns thereafter where they had to chase them and take them in battle and destroy their cities is absolutely incredible. It is, to me, probably the greatest battle ever fought that we've seen. And yet, the campaign wasn't over. 
as long as many and that's why I took the time in the in the opening of the show to talk about those other battles and campaigns and then this battle and yet they're not done there's a mountain and southern campaign yet to take place and we get an indication in Joshua 11 as it sort of summarizes and then we'll get more details on those other campaigns and in other chapters but this wasn't done in a few years I mean they were in perpetual war so in Joshua 11:18, they fought these kings and their cities and their peoples they rolled over and it's the kings that is being emphasized here the Raphaim kings for a long period of time a complete generation in fact it's not going to be finished uh, when Joshua dies but they are going to secure a significant piece of the covenant land and they'll have driven so many of the giants that are out except for the areas that they're not occupying and but they didn't unfortunately drive out all of the Canaanites and all the tribes of the Canaanites and obviously some of the the, the hybrids that, that would have been with them so that was one of the things that is going to come back to haunt them but this was the time of conquest this was a time when a very small nation of people who with the help and faith in God were going to take the land of the covenant back so that they could bring about the Messiah Jesus as part of the resolution to the angelic rebellion and the creation of their spurious offspring to try and ensure humankind does not reach their destiny to be raised up like angels to judge the angels for their crimes against humanity and to try and make sure that and to try and justify their rebellion the angelic rebellion so this is this is the northern campaign and i have a document on it if you want to get a hold of me you can get a hold of me through the genesis 6 conspiracy uh, the genesis 6 with the number 6 conspiracy and until next time may god continue to bless you abundantly thank you